Welcome to the Careers, Employability and Skills podcast from Queen's University, Belfast. This episode was recorded during a panel session entitled Careers Beyond Profit, Conservation, Heritage and Museums, featuring Dr. David Tosh from the National Museum NI and Kim McMonagall and Daniel Shodden from the National Trust and is hosted by Mary McLaughlin from the Queen's Careers, Employability and Skills Department. All right, welcome everyone to our Careers Beyond Profit seminar series. Um, today we're going to hear from employers in the Conservation Heritage and Museums panel. And I'm Mary McLaughlin, a careers consultant here at Queen's, and I'll be facilitating the discussion today. And we'll hear from our guest speakers, Dr. David Tosh from the National Museums NI, and Kim McMonagall and Danielle Shortall from the National Trust. And some of the things we hope you'll get out of the session today is that you'll hear from expert panelists about their career journeys and you'll get insight into some roles in the sector. You'll also learn about opportunities to get involved in the work of conservation and heritage and museums in Northern Ireland. And you'll get tips from our experts in the field about how to develop skills that will help you in the industry and how to pursue a career in their field. Um, we'll ask you to submit questions throughout. You can submit them anonymously through the chat function and then we will get to those at the end after we've heard from all of our panelists. Um, just to let everyone know, some of our panelists have had a little bit of difficulty with their Wi-Fi this morning. So just bear with us if people cut out, um, but hopefully that won't happen now that we're all with you all. So we'll go ahead and get started with Dr. David Tosh. He's the research coordinator from National Museums NI. So while David's speaking, I just ask the other two speakers to go ahead and turn their mics and cameras off. Thanks. Cool. All right. Hi, everybody. How are you getting on? Um, so, yeah, as Mary says, uh, I'm David Tosh and um, I work for National Museums Northern Ireland. So that's uh, a group of four museums that you might have heard of individually. So that's the Ulster Museum in Belfast, the Ulster Folk Museum and Ulster Transport Museum in Coltraw towards Bangor and the Ulster American Folk Park outside of Oma. So, yeah, I, I'm just going to take you on a whistle stop, whistle stop tour around uh, my career to date. So, um, yeah, so how I got here now. Um, so back in 2002, I graduated from the University of Dundee with a degree in ecology. Um, but that's not really where my, my sort of adventure started. Um, my adventure started when I dropped out of a degree in chemistry uh, in 1997. I'd harboured ambitions to become a forensic scientist, but it became apparent very quickly I was never going to uh, achieve that. So I dropped out of university and thought, what on earth could I do? So I ended up working in Liddles and the bar for uh, about eight months, saving up money and then um, volunteering on a project out in Vietnam for four months. Um, when I came back out of that, I was like, hey, if I could get paid to do this, I'd be doing something right. So um, I had a look through the clearing system um, and an opportunity to, came, uh, to do the degree in ecology at Dundee came up. So I jumped on that. Um, so when I came out of uh, University of Dundee, I didn't automatically, you know, jump into a, a job and related to ecology and the environmental sector. It was quite a, a weaving road that has taken me to uh, 2021, where I currently work for National Museums Northern Ireland. So, 
So how did it get you there? So as I said, graduated in 2002. Um, I came out, I moved down to Edinburgh, and I ended up at, in temping jobs. So uh, these were short-term contracts with employment agencies, um, working in offices around Edinburgh. So it could be from banks to charities. Um, and after six months, you know, I, I didn't want to keep doing that because I wasn't getting anywhere very quickly. So, uh, and opportunities to get into the environmental sector were few and far between in Edinburgh at the time, because there was a lot of competition. So um, I cast my net um, a bit wider um, and I saw that there was opportunities for, uh, with the conservation volunteers over in Northern Ireland. Now, um, by that point, uh, I had visited Northern Ireland once, but I knew very little about it, but I knew that the, the opportunity um, that they were offering was something that I was really interested in. So um, in 2003, um, I moved to Northern Ireland to County Fermanagh to work with conservation volunteers where I volunteered as their conservation action team leader. Um, so that was basically taking uh, people that were long-term unemployed, people with learning and uh, physical disabilities and getting them involved in uh, practical conservation tasks. Now, um, when I was down in Fermanagh, uh, an opportunity to, to look after one of the teams up in Bangor came along. So after six months, I eventually got employed by conservation volunteers as one of the action team leaders out, running out of Bangor. So again, I was working with similar sort of groups uh, doing practical conservation projects from building fences, uh, making dry stone walls, tree planting, landscaping, willow domes, you name it, we, we did it. Um, but when I came out of uh, my degree um, at Dundee, it was, I was really interested in research. Um, I was wanting to, to go back and do a PhD, but I wasn't wanting to jump into something that, uh, anything for the sake of it, I wanted to try and find the right opportunity for me. So fortunately, um, a year later, in 2004, um, I got a, a studentship with the People's Trust for Endangered Species uh, to work at Queen's University for um, a year. So I ended up doing uh, a research project with them. Um, and then that led to more work employ uh, work at Queen's University, working in the uh, Department of Biological Sciences, where I was undertaking protected species surveys. So uh, anything from red squirrels to um, Irish hares, I was running about the countryside of Northern Ireland, counting them and trying to work out where they are to inform um, government particularly in the Northern Ireland Environment Agency. Now, whilst there, um, an opportunity to do a PhD came along. So I undertook uh, a PhD in 2006 with, uh, under the Department of Agriculture, where I looked at the exposure of mammals to uh, rat poisons. Um, so that kept me busy for a few years. Um, after a few disasters, I eventually emerged uh, out of that in 2012. But during that time, um, I was uh, I was working self-employed as a, uh, an environmental co uh, con consultant. I was doing subcontracting work for um, environmental consultancies, and I also ended up doing some uh, volunteering with Operation Wallacea in, in Indonesia. Um, the opportunity, the volunteering opportunity with Operation Wallacea, eventually led to paid employment part-time employment with them, whereby I became the senior scientist for their uh, tropical forest program in Indonesia for a number of years. So I had quite a lot going on at the same time um, because there was 
there was periods I wasn't making any money. So I had to look for opportunities out there. Now, the organizations listed in front of you are some of the organizations that I worked for, but there were periods of un unemployment as well. Um, you know, I just didn't flow from job to job to job to job. Opportunities weren't like that. Um, so once I finished my PhD, um, I ended up doing some short-term um, postdocs with Invasive Species Ireland and Quercus. Um, and then I uh, ended up uh, working for Jacobs, which is a, a big multinational engineering firm. Um, I moved to Edinburgh, back to Edinburgh, um, and worked out at their Edinburgh office for a while. So that was working on national infrastructure projects like motorways and railways, and dealing with the ecological mitigation associated with these developments. But it wasn't really for me. So um, an opportunity uh, came back uh, to come back to Northern Ireland and work for Quercus um, as a, the Centre Ecologists uh, came up. So again, that was doing uh, a lot of protected species work to inform uh, government policy and approaches. But when that contract came to an end, um, I ended up going back into consultancy. I ended up using environmental consultancy as like a, a stopgap for uh, periods of unemployment, to prevent periods of unemployment. So I went and started working for WIG, another uh, massive engineering company uh, that's based across Britain and Ireland. Again, I was involved in ecological projects, so redevelopment of um, uh, old MOD sites and things like that. So doing surveys for bats, badgers, otters, you know, a range of protected species like that. Um, then an opportunity came uh, working for CEDAR. So that's the Centre for Environmental Data and Recording at uh, and based in National Museums Northern Ireland. So I ended up uh, doing work for them where I was essentially working for the Northern Ireland Environment Agency. Um, producing reports for Article 17 reporting. Now that is a requirement under the EU Habitats Directive, which is one of the biggest um, pieces of conservation legislation that um, we adhered to when we were part of Europe. So that required us to report every seven years on the, the status of protected species in Northern Ireland and the UK as a whole. So I was involved in coordinating that work um, for a number of years. But like with all the jobs up to that point, None had been permanent, all had been uh, temporary contracts. So the opportunity to, to do the position I'm working in now came up. Um, it's almost three years ago now that the opportunity came up and um, it was a permanent contract. And unfortunately, I needed a mortgage for a house. So um, I took the plunge and jumped into the museum where I've um, been ever since. So what does a research coordinator do? Um, well, it's a relatively new job within um, National Museums Northern Ireland. Um, I, it is a very varied position. Um, there's a picture of a cup of coffee and there is a, a picture of a person on a computer. Now, I'm not going to lie, uh, between those two things and being on the telephone, that is a large part of my job. So essentially, I'm a facilitator um, because with, with museums, we have four physical sites. But the things on display there only represent the tip of the iceberg of what we have in our collections. So I think they reckon within the Ulster Museum, only 3% of the, the collections that are associated with that site are actually on display. So the, the remaining 97% uh, are in storage facilities elsewhere in Belfast. Now, one of the core re uh, remits of um, museum, the National Museums in Northern Ireland is research. So my, the main part of my job is to try and support and develop research 
um, with the collections and our sites as a focus of that research. So to date, um, it's been incredibly varied. So it has involved very little uh, environmental sector work, um, despite my best efforts. But um, it's a lot of my time has actually been spent um, being involved in work on the ancient Egyptian mummy that is the centerpiece of the Egyptian gallery in Nelson Museum. So that's a lady called Takabuti. So we've been working with um, academics from University of Manchester and um, Queen's University to improve our understanding of who Takabuti was, um, where she came from, what her diet was, things like that. So, you know, I was handed that project. It'd been lying stagnant for a number of years and I was asked to, to move it forward. So I ended up doing things like arranging to get an X-ray machine into the Ulster Museum, which exposed me to things I would never imagined I would be uh, dealing with. But after that, um, you know, all the hard work that went into that, we're now at a point where there's going to be a book coming out in April uh, about Takabuti, all about that, that research. But um, I'm also involved with a postgraduate students at Queen's that are looking to use Minecraft as a way of um, getting kids more involved in their site. So we're currently organizing Minecraft workshops um, that are based on the Ulster Folk Museum in Coltraw uh, and getting the kids involved in, in that and educational activities. So we're doing those remotely and online during the current lockdown. Um, but as I say, a lot of my work is having conversations with people, you know, finding out how we could facilitate research um, in the museum, how we could help them achieve the goals of their research. So, yes, it's a lot of uh, managing and administrating and facilitating, but no two days are the same. It is incredibly varied. Like not all museums across Britain and Ireland have a position like my own. There's only I think there's only like three or four other positions like mine, um, and they are all slightly different uh, from one another, just depending on what th that museum is. I know the British Museum has one, National Museum Scotland has one, and I know the National Museum Scotland, the person that does a similar role, it's a very different job to, to what I do. So it's, um, I am given a bit of freedom to, to direct it uh, where, where I want, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, so I can pursue some interests uh, that I have. So like I'm really interested in the Neolithic period. So again, using Minecraft, we developed a Minecraft realm um, as part of our education offerings um, that exposes the world to the Neolithic because we very much focus on ancient Egypt with our education at the moment. And to be honest, what relevance does that have to uh, Northern Ireland here and now? So um, we're trying to educate people more about the, 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 that time period. Uh, so um, I was asked if I had any advice for you. <laughs> uh, some people might say that I'm not the best person to ask advice of, but you know, this is this is these are my my key points. You know, I think for me, I was fortunate enough going into the environmental sector to find something that I really loved. Um, every day I was working on it. You know, because I loved it so much, it didn't feel like work. It was the easiest job in the world, as as far as I was concerned. If you can find something like that, grab it and run with it. Uh, it will just make life so much easier for you. If you're interested in getting into the the environmental sector, museum sector, my biggest piece of advice is do your research. Um, find out how other people have got into that sector. Um, like I know, asking asking my colleagues in the museum, how they got there. 
I don't think anybody's taken uh, the same path. But for those that are interested in getting into academia, you know, the path is quite consistent. You know, it's, it's do your degree, your master's, your PhD, your postdoc, and then eventually that will hopefully lead to, to a lectureship. But, um, you know, it's, it's a low level of success getting into that sector. Um, because again, it's something ridiculous, like only 3% of PhD graduates end, end up uh, lecturing. But if you're willing, you know, keep pushing. If you really want to do it, you can get there, but do your research. You know, as you can gather, um, I'm quite enjoying talking about myself. So feel free to reach out and contact people and ask them, you know, for advice, for um, guidance, ask them how they got there. Nine times out of 10, people will get in touch and will be willing to share um, their experience but you know everybody's experience is unique so you kind of you know follow your own path so to speak. I would also advise to try and get experience any way you can. Um, you know I've been involved in recruitment in the past and um, the value of voluntary work cannot be understated. Now I know a financial situation um, can impede people committing, but there are there are different ways to volunteer, as I'll I'll get onto in the next slide. But I cannot overstate the value of voluntary experience or additional experience. Um, I know um, the experience, the voluntary experience that I had in the past. Uh, you know, it's helped massively in um, gaining some of the aspects of employment that I've described earlier. So please try and get experience any way you can. You know, if it's not physically uh, volunteering at a place, then remotely, then or, or doing something to assist. And finally, if you really want to do it, don't give up. You will get knocks. As I've alluded to, I've had periods of unemployment over the past like 18, 19 years. It's not great. Uh, it's zero crack, but you know, it brings things into focus and it will, yeah, it builds character, as they say, and it will help you get there, I promise. Um, so fi finally, like staying involved during a global pandemic. Uh, yeah, this is not an ideal situation for anybody. Um, and, you know, through the interactions I have with students in my, in my job, you know, I, I know there's a lot of anxiety out there. But the big question is, don't panic. Everybody is in this situation, you know, everybody is in this rubbish situation. You know, you're not alone. There are people willing out, out there willing to provide help and advice where they can. And if that is offered to take it, you know, don't don't fear going forward to people and asking them questions. Um, I would, as I've said, you know, I, I thoroughly recommend volunteering if you can afford to do it. Now, um, getting involved remotely, uh, is in my mind like if you've already got work commitments etc this allows you to uh, get experience in your own time and this is something that we're doing in the museum you know we're providing remote volunteering opportunities for students um, in Northern Ireland but also people in Scotland England uh, Republic of Ireland so um, you will find that a lot of organizations that you approach will have adapted in this way. And if you are interested in volunteering with the museum, then please feel free to get in touch. Also use the, use the opportunity that uh, the lockdowns present 
to try and develop a new skill. Um, a lot of organisations have again adapted. So the British Ecological Society, CDAR, etc. They're they're providing you know um, online talks, remote sessions, etc. That you know uh, that are great for you know particularly for CDAR. So if you're interested in getting environmental consultancy, consultancy, you know honing your species ID skills, you know getting to meet people within the uh, sector, other people like you, you know it's it's all about building a network. And I thoroughly recommend social media uh, for staying involved. Now, when I may say I thoroughly recommend it, I use it, particularly Twitter, to stay in touch with um, what's happening uh, within the field that I'm working within. So if there's new papers published in an area that I'm interested in, or if there's new um, techniques that are being promoted by um, this museum or that museum, um, I find it an incredibly useful way to keep in touch with with what is going on. Um, so I would recommend the use of things like Twitter in that respect, because I know the, the scientific uh, sector and museum sectors, there's a lot of people on there. I don't use it for, uh, you know, personal social media posts, but it's, it's useful from that perspective. So if you want to fi find out about my love of sticks or um, airport car, <laughs> airport carpets, then you can follow me in Twitter and see some of the some of the science that I'm involved in still. So uh, yeah, that's my my life story <laughs> and my recommendations. So yeah, feel free to ask any questions you like. And yeah, uh, thanks very much. Thanks, David. That's great. We've had no some worries. questions, but like I said, we'll um, do them all at the end once we hear from our next speakers no who are um, Kim McMonagall, the community, Learn community learning and volunteer coordinator with the National Trust and Danielle Shortall, Ranger from the National Trust. So thank you both and I'll hand it over to you. Hello there, guys. Um, I'm with the National Trust and um, that is. Hello, sorry, we had a technical issue there. Um, I'm Kim and I'm with my colleague today, uh, Danielle. We are part of uh, South Down portfolio, um, which covers Castle Ward, Murloc and the Mourns. So a beautiful part of the country. Um, I'm just going to tell you a wee bit about myself. Um, I have worked for the National Trust actually for 20 years, but 13 years of it has been as the... Um, volunteer coordinator along with learning um, with and we have school visits coming um, but I've had quite a varied career um, from playing a lot of Bamden in my youth um, to then going on to um, a career within the fast food industry um, and then getting uh, involved with the National Trust. So it has been a, a quite colourful um, and quite different um, and like our previous speaker was saying, um, I've always used these opportunities to go forward and look for something different because you don't know what's going to be around the corner. Um, and I'm just going to hand you over to my colleague, Danielle. Hi, so um, I'm a ranger down in South Down. Um, so I went to Queen's in 2011, in 2011 to study biological science. And at that time, I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. 
And so between my summer of my second and third year, I went to South Africa and done a month there on a conservation reserve. And then that made me decide um, this is what I want to do. So once graduated, um, I didn't have a lot of experience because I didn't know what, like it took me a while to realize what I was going to, uh, what I was going to do. So then I worked with my career advisor at Queen's and he got me set up with the my local council who had a conservation department and I worked with them for, it uh, must have been for around nine months. And then from there, I was lucky enough to get my traineeship with the Ulster Wildlife. A lot of experience and got me a good few qualifications. And um, four years ago, I was lucky enough to come up with this job come up and I've been here ever since. Um, where I've been is uh, the site I mainly work at is in Castle Ward, which is seven mile outside Down Patrick. It's on the shores of Strangford Lock and it's an 820 acre estate with an 18th century mansion house, ancient parkland uh, of the estate as well as the nature. And on site we have an area of special scientific interest which is designated for its wildflowers. We're also working with Belfast Zoo and NIA to reintroduce red squirrels. And we're working with the Ulster Wildlife to encourage the return of barn owls. And we are also trying to promote pollinators by doing um, less formal grass cutting in the estate. And the other half of us is Murloc Nature Reserve. Um, so down at Murloc is also, there's Murloc in the Morns and it's the other half of us and it has its own ranger team. Uh, Murloc is situated in Dundrum and is a 6,000 year old gene system and it was Ireland's first nature reserve and it encompasses 16% of the UK's gene heathland. The team down there managed to conserve and manage the site by doing site patrols, path repairs and wildlife service. And then from the longest beach to the highest mountain, the team also looks after the moors, which is a path restoration project ongoing to help protect the surrounding habitat. I'll pass back over to Kim. Hello there. Um, the National Trust um, is a charity, so it's devoted to natural heritage and built heritage. We have one of the largest uh, memberships in the UK. Um, and also we look after, um, also we look after a third of the coastlines in Northern Ireland. We have 60 sites throughout uh, Northern Ireland um, and we have 10 historical houses, even a pub in Belfast as well. We look after endangered plants and habitats and we have 3 million people visit our sites per year in Northern Ireland. Um, I'm going to chat to you now a wee bit about the different types of volunteering that we have. Um, we have placement volunteers um, and you can see there this is a photograph of some of our placement volunteers at our nature reserve in Murloc. Um, we also have volunteers that help on the mountain. Um, we have volunteers in, um, on the grounds here at Castle Ward and that can be placements or daily volunteers or it can be community groups. We also have volunteers in our mansion house that can do room stewarding, tour guiding and also behind the scenes we have quite a few volunteers that do conservation in the house. 
Um, and out in the garden, we have a lovely daily group come every Wednesday, the Wednesday volunteers, and they work um, alongside our head gardener. And what they do is um, help with the upkeep and the maintenance of the garden, which was um, just redone a few years ago back uh, into its original style. Um, we also have run plenty of events because of the obviously the number of uh, visitors that come to our properties. Um, so we do have uh, volunteers that help with the visitor experience team. So these can, volunteers can be helping with events like Easter, Christmas, uh, creating ch children's trails, setting up for events and the supporting events as well. Um, and then we would have a lot of community work that we would do as well with our local organisations. Um, it can be just local uh, groups, it can be community groups, it can be um, like scouts, um, brownies, guides, those types of things as well, um, which has been a lot more difficult to do, obviously, over, over these uh, extreme times. Um, but we have worked very, very closely um, over this period of time with our own local community based in Strangford. So we're hoping to do quite a few different projects with them um, in the future. Over to Danielle. So I'm going to talk to you a bit about how to start your journey um, with the National Trust. Um, I would recommend you think about what sector you want to pursue and look for um, advice and experience in that sector. Know what you're getting into. Um, a lot of things with re people don't really understand what we do as rangers and sort of get their eyes open when they come down here. Um, we do work a lot with um, doing a bit of visitor work and things because emptying bins and stuff like that and a lot of people don't realize what it entails but we do get to do nice things as well as i mentioned with the red squirrels and survey work but know what you want to get into before you start to pursue it um i would also recommend looking for the volunteer opportunities within that field and seek advice from people within that area so as um uh, david had mentioned just like send an email out, get in contact over social media, things like that. Um, somebody will obviously, especially with the National Trust, there's normally somebody at the other end that they'll pass you on to the right person. Uh, we used to do a lot of taster days down, down here. Obviously, COVID has sort of put a stop to that, but um, we had, had a volunteer open day. Hopefully, we'd like to see that return, um, but for people to come down and see what each department does. So try, if there's any days like that there, try that. Even come down to sites for guided walks, things like that, get to know what the what the place are like and get practical experience. And have a, wee, have a wee chat with other volunteers that are about and see what they would recommend. Okay, and just to finish up, um, we over quite a few years now have been um, trying to be more creative in the way that we involve volunteers um, to make sure that it's tangible. It gives everybody a good experience, um, especially students that are here with us on placements. Um, it is an excellent way to build your CV. Uh, we try to be as flexible as possible with our volunteers and um, we do really enjoy having young, giving an offer for young people um, because this helps 
develop their skills in the future. Um, so it's a great opportunity um, to get involved through the volunteering, um, to gain experience, to gain knowledge, to gain new skills, and most importantly, to see if it's the field that you would like to be part of, and also meeting new people and making new friends. Uh, that's everything I think we have to say. Thank Great. you. Thank you, Al. So now I'll invite everyone um, to come back on with your cameras, David. And um, thanks. We will go through some of these questions. We've had quite a few come in. So the first question is around, um, all of you have mentioned opportunities to get involved with your organizations and someone's asking, is there a specific contact that would be the best to reach out to or how do we go about getting in touch with your organization to get involved with volunteer or placement opportunities? David, do you wanna answer first? Yeah, um, if anybody's interested in getting involved in the museum, just get in contact with myself. Um, Mary, have you, Provided uh, email addresses or? No, I haven't. Um, but we might be able to yeah. send it out to people who have registered. Would you? Are you okay sharing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just out loud? yeah, it's just David Tosh at nmni dot um, com. So thanks. And then um, then for um, the National Trust, Danielle and Kim. Sorry there, we were chatting when we should have been listening. <laughs> um, we have our own volunteering um, email here at Castle Ward. Um, and if anybody was interested, if they want to co come through that, vo uh, the volunteering one at Castle Ward, if it's somewhere else, one of the other properties, we I would have a contact that we'd be able to put them through to. So if it's in a different, completely different area. So it's uh, volunteering dot uh, cast award at nationaltrust.org.uk great thanks but you can see it on our website okay website okay wonderful thank you um and then the the next question um for you all is what qualities do you look for when you're looking for potential full-time job applicants um kim and danielle do you want to take this first Sorry, Mia, could you repeat that? You just broke up way bit on my end. Sure, no problem. Um, the, the student's asking, what qualities do you look for in your potential job applicants? With somebody coming to be a ranger, um, as for, for employability, it would be um, good, good experience, being able to work well as a team, willing to get mucked in and just uh, to try anything. And the other thing is, is being able to willing to learn. On, like we, we realize that not everybody's coming knowing everything, but being able to learn on the job and take, take a bit of guidance and things like that there. Um, but it's just more about getting mucked in and willing to do everything that they wanted to, uh, that we put up to them. Kim, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, well, just basically to come down and, you know, as Danielle had mentioned earlier on, we um, had a volunteer open day where it was open for everybody to come um, and see what each department 
got involved in and um, the type of jobs that they would be doing so it's a great opportunity and also the taster days that we um had as well but if they uh, somebody is particularly interested again if they get in contact with us any one of us would be more than happy to have a chat with them on the phone um and to go over and give more detail um that would be helpful to make for before they make a decision great um and david what would you say? Um, I think, it, uh, given my experience, it'd be, it really depends on the position that you're applying for. But I mean, there are general cliches, um, you know, that apply for most jobs. And, um, you know, being able to work as part of a team, being flexible. Because um, I know in uh, working in the museum sector, yeah, flexibility is key because you can be asked to be involved in all sorts of different projects. So be being willing to put your hand to, to any task at hand. You know, I think teamwork is essential, but also being able to, you know, take something on and lead with it um, yourself. I think that's very important. Communication cannot be um, understated. The value to being able to communicate to colleagues and to the wider public is as essential as, as, you know, be it in the museum sector or in the, uh, you know, environmental academic sectors. So I think, yeah, those would be big things for me. Um, and then just to follow up on that, I know you all have mentioned the importance of volunteering. So um, would you say that volunteering with your organizations is, is kind of a way to stand out as an applicant to having volunteered before applying to a position? Um, Kim and Danielle, you can add um, to that first. Yeah, I would say like volunteering is a good way to get into it. Not necessarily. We're not going to, when you apply for a job, you're not going to say, oh, well, somebody volunteer with us, you know, over, over a different organization and we'll give that job to that person. But volunteering in general, we're not just saying come volunteer with us. You know, there is other organizations out there, um, but it does help, you know, volunteering in general. Um, but I will I will say that like a lot of times we have had volunteers that have stepped up in, into a role. Um, we used to have uh, like an outdoor assistant that would have come up seasonally. And I think, if, I don't know how many times that was given to, like it was just not given to volunteer, but the volunteer had applied for it and they had got that role because they just sort of knew the site a bit better. And it, it's obviously easier for us because they're able to, to step straight into that role and run with it. Um, but yeah, volunteering is, is definitely a good way to get in, especially if you're coming into a ranger role. Um, I have sort of yet to see somebody get into a ranger role without any type of volunteering. It is definitely a way forward. Okay. Kim, anything to add there? Yeah. Um, over the years that I have been doing the volunteer co coordinator role, um, more and more young people are coming into volunteering and that is the first step stone, stepping stone into um, a career within conservation. So I do think it's important um, when you're going for a job, um, even though you might have the qualifications, um, when you have on your CV that you have, uh, you, you know, utilize some of your time to learn that skill and learn new skills more um i do think that puts um you know you ahead of the game when it comes to going for jobs and things like that because you're you're getting gaining so much more experience even the likes of some of the placements we've had in the house doing conservation behind the scenes and um, you know how they've learned um how to work it within the house 
the young people that are in placements with us out in the grounds, um, how they have learnt practical skills that they wouldn't have learnt, you know, um, through their universities and things like that. So for me, it is a big plus being able to have those skills through the volunteering. Great. And David? Yeah, volunteering definitely helps within the museum sector. Um, jobs in Northern Ireland and the island of Ireland are like hen's teeth at the minute. So to get that first opportunity is probably essential to volunteer. Now, uh, we provide op uh, volunteering opportunities, but so do local museums. You don't have to go to um, a big museum to get that experience. In fact, I'd, I'd argue that some of the smaller museums will provide you you know, with a wider range of experience because they don't have the, the number of unique positions that we have. So somebody, um, the curator there may have also have to be, you know, archivist, conservationist, et cetera, et cetera. So there may be good opportunities with the smaller museums. Um, but is it essential? Um, probably. Probably um, within the with the museum sector, um, I think you do have to do it. A lot of people go and do um, uh, conservation masters or heritage masters or museum studies masters, uh, and I know a lot of people um, that work in our organisation have one of those, so that undoubtedly helps as well. But um, that's just my outsider's view in. So, um, but again, everybody's path is different, so there's no one right way. And that kind of brings to the next question, um, which is asked, which is, is a master's or PhD necessary to have a career in museums and heritage management? Um, David, do you want to go first on that one? Yeah, so uh, I wouldn't say PhD, no. It depends, again, what level do you want? Do you want to be the top boss? Um, and with, the, with a PhD that specifically looks at how metals respond to environmental conditions, then yes, you might be head conservationist for a, a railway museum or something like that. But the masters give you a broad introduction to the issues and topics that you might be covering. So I think it would certainly be useful. Um, otherwise, uh, like me, you go in blind and you learn the hard way. So uh, I could have done with some prior knowledge before getting into this position. <laughs> That a museum studies course might have helped with, and, but yeah, um, I don't. I don't think a PhD is essential at all for this sector. No. Okay, great. Um, Kim, Danielle, in your areas, a PhD or a master's? I would. Um, again, it sort of depends on how far up the ladder you want to go, but. Um, I would definitely say no, it's not. Our, we more have the issue where we have students that are coming with um, with their degree and then they go down into a master's role and then they're coming to us and thinking that they can walk straight into a job but they don't have experience. Um, so for us it would be more like going and getting your experience before you go and get your master's because I think the experience side of it um, carries you further than what, what degrees do. and. Um, I have seen it where there's been people and they are very, very book smart and very, you know, they've done done the research projects and things like that there, but they they've no experience. And somebody who who's just got their degree or maybe has went through a like a college route or like a what do you call them? Like a BTEC sort of route too. Things like that there are picked over somebody with with a qualification because they have the experience. So definitely in my sector, um 
it's the experience that sort of carries you. But now you do obviously need your um, some roles do require your degree as well. But um, if this kind of environmental conservation role is not the way you want to go, I would definitely recommend go out, do either do a placement year, do some volunteering, try that for a while before going and doing your master's. Kim? Yeah, I would agree with both David and Danielle. You know, um, over the years, seeing students coming in, um, like Danielle uh, said earlier on, they're coming with their, their degrees and their qualifications, but it's just the practical side. Obviously, you need both. Um, so it's trying to balance the two and um, through gaining more experience, then maybe then deciding whether that's the way you want to go um, with a PhD, depending on what field you're in but uh, I, I do think the two things go side by side your degree and the, your practical okay um, then there are a couple of questions that are similar so I'll kind of ask them together it's around um, placements and full-time positions so kind of in general at the moment with COVID are there many opportunities for placement opportunities with your organizations and full-time jobs with your organizations. Um, Kim and Danielle, do you want to take this one first? Hi, I'd start off with this one. Um, at the moment, it's a bit more limited due to COVID um, because normally um, at both properties, at both Castle Ward and Murloc, we have um, accommodation for volunteers. So in the past, for example, I've taken two placements from Queen's for probably the last five or six years. Um, and then we have taken students from all over the world um, to help uh, and with horticultural backgrounds. Um, but unfortunately, due to COVID at the moment, we are restricted to only two places um, in our accommodation here at Castle Ward and at Murloc. So it's slightly more restricted um, at present, but uh, we're hoping that obviously as things get better and things start to open up that we will be able to gain, you know, invite more um, students or um, people that are interested to come and do a placement, we would be able to provide the accommodation. But it doesn't mean to say you still can't do a placement um, and travel back and forth if, if the property is convenient to where you are. And then about full-time positions? Full-time positions, yes. We normally, um, for placements, um, the majority of them are for 46 weeks. Um, and then um, they, do, they do that over a, their whole year. Um, and then after that, as Danielle mentioned in the past, we have had, um, you know, seasonal um, ranger opportunities and a lot of the placements have had the opportunity to apply for those roles. Um, at the moment, um, it's like every organisation just with COVID, um, there's restrictions on what is on offer for employment at the moment. But I think that's across the board, unfortunately, with every organisation. Um, and again, hopefully that will improve as, as the situation improves. Kim, do you have anything to add from that standpoint, from the National Trust? You turned your camera off. Oh, sorry, not Kim, Danielle. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, yeah, um, it's, um, it's, 
yeah, we used to have a seasonal. We we always would have had a seasonal ranger, um, here. Uh, at Castle Ward, and they would have come on from March to October, but unfortunately, because of COVID and without and the way things are going at the minute, we we are not taking that on at the minute this year. And Murloc themselves, they would have had seasonal rangers too, and it is a good way for for young people to to get in, especially because a lot of it does go over the summer. It's it's not full time; it's part time. So there is opportunities out there. Hopefully, next year, you know those roles are back up and going again. And even maybe if I don't know. It's hard to know what's around the corner with the National Trust. There, um, it would be nice to see a seasonal ranger back in both properties, but we can't really say at the minute. I think the job market everywhere is a bit limited. So it is. Thanks. So then, David, from your perspective. Yeah. So uh, we have remote volunteering opportunities at the minute. So there's a variety of projects that are underway that um, people can uh, participate in. Um, it's just a, a, a matter of capacity or, or ability to manage the number of volunteers. So if people are interested and have some time, then I just again encourage people to get in touch with me and we can look into it. As for work placements, um, we provide work placements to a number of master's courses at uh, Queen's and UU. So again, if somebody's looking for a work placement, it's simply about approaching us. I see somebody's looking for you know professional opportunities within the museum. Yes, we can explore that. You know, again, it just comes down to capacity. Whether the area you want to work in, do they have opportunities for you? You know, can they manage you? You know, because we don't want you to come along and just do photocopying and stuff like that. That's that's not beneficial to anyone. Um, but as for future jobs. Realistically, uh, next financial year is going to be really hard. We're facing uh, job losses, so it's very likely that there won't be any recruitment in, into National Museums Northern Ireland. Now, that's not to say um, specific like National Heritage Lottery funded projects, like short term projects that are funded for three years, won't be looking for um, members of staff to facilitate those programmes. But for uh, permanent jobs in the museum, um, I can't imagine there'll be many coming up uh, within the next year. Unfortunately, sorry, they're a bit like hen's teeth. So, thanks for that. Um, but like you've all said, there are still opportunities to continue to build your yeah, skill yeah. sets through volunteering and placements. So to be doing those things in the meantime, um, and then kind of for all of you more on your personal career paths, there's a question around um, while you were volunteering, did you also work part time, or yeah, to have paid work? while volunteering? Um, and did you find that to be sort of feasible to manage both? Um, David, do you want to answer this one first? Uh, so the first time I did it uh, in Vietnam, no. I ended up working for a long period of time beforehand to allow me to do that. Um, the second time I did it, I was able to uh, sign on at the time as un uh, unemployed, and this counted as um, training. I don't think that option is available to people uh, anymore. And the third time I did it, uh, no, I had my expenses paid um, and accommodation provided and things like that. So during the volunteering opportunities, no, I wasn't working. I either worked beforehand or opportunities came after it. So it was a period of sacrifice <laughs> for the greater good, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and then Kim and then Danielle. Yeah, so when I um, when I went to South Africa, it, it was I just basically held on to my student loan, and that's what paid that's what paid that. Um, when I volunteered with the council, I sort of done something similar to what David, which was I signed on, 
and that paid. Part of it, the other thing was um, with it, I was able to get into this thing called, I think it was a youth employability scheme, which still gave me the money that you would have got with sign on, but I got a bit more because I was out working um, and you didn't have to go and sign on and do all there. I imagine that scheme isn't probably there anymore, but it's something I got there, which was like aimed at, aimed at um, I think young people from 18 to 25 was available from when I was doing it. And then from there, I got my traineeship with the Ulster Wildlife and they were, um, that was funded from them and now it wasn't funded very much but it still meant because I was basically working full-time with them but when I was um when I finished my uh, that youth employability scheme through the from signing on and with the council um once I finished I still kept on volunteering with the council and I worked um part-time along with it so it's just opportunities just sort of I was very lucky um opportunities sort of arose while I was volunteering and things like that um, down here, Castle Ward, we do have a uh, volunteers can claim expenses. Yeah, um, I'll let Kim. Kim's probably better at talking that over than I am. Hi there. Um, well, the way we work with the volunteers um, for the National Trust, if it's not a placement and uh, volunteers just want to do, um, you know, like a day a week or uh, something like that, or a couple of days. Um, we generally help with um, fuel costs uh, for covering the costs of all the volunteers because at the end of the day we feel that if the volunteers are given their time they shouldn't be out of pocket financially so um, that would cover like a bus if you had to get the bus or train or if you have your own car that would cover fuel um, and again um, if the students are in placement and they're staying with it, it's free, it's free accommodation. Um, they just have to feed themselves. In the past, some of the volunteers have um, done uh, part-time jobs along with their placement. Or again, um, as David said earlier on, I don't think it happens now, but you used to be able to sign on and do your placement um, volunteering as well. So there is different things. Or if it's a, if there's a special project and there happens to be funding for it, again, that can be something um, that we can be part of and help with. Okay. Can't hear her. Oh, we can't hear Mary, you. Mary, I think your microphone's off. <laughs> Thank you. That had to happen once, right? <laughs> um, this question is the students interested in getting into curatorship or archiving, and they want to know which volunteer opportunities within your organization should they look out for? I think any, to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, I think it's good in the first instance to just get an oversight of how museums work. Um, it's very different to how I imagined coming into it. So I think any volunteer and opportunity uh, within a museum will give you uh, an insight into one of the many aspects of it. So go for any, I would say. And then from the National Trust side? Uh, well, our uh, house here at Castle Ward is accredited museum. So we do have quite a lot of students um, have in the past and hopefully in the future have come in and done special projects within the house. Um, like not last year, but the year before we had a student for the most of the year helping with uh, a project in the library. 
cataloging the books in the it's a private library it's one of the most complete uh, family libraries um within the any of the national trust houses so it was a big job to do all the archiving for that so we've had a lot of um people involved with different things like that so there is the opportunity to do different things and um within the national trust castle ward mansion isn't just the only credited um museum so there is opportunities across the board great and then we will just ask one last question um and then we'll wrap up um this is to both of you about um are remote volunteering or placement opportunities with your organizations flexible for students during term time? Um, do you want to take that first, Kim and, Dan Kim and Daniel? Yeah, we, especially with volunteering, we're very flexible. Um, I have a, I have two groups coming in now at the minute um, with, um, with COVID. I used to have them all together, but I've now split them up. And um, these are sort of semi-retired older ones, so they come in and they're, they're helping me at the minute. So one's on a Wednesday, one's on a Thursday. Um, I have another two that are here at the minute that um, actually work work on the ticket hut, and they are just doing whatever day is suits them. They sort of text me and I say they can do this day and that day, and I work around them. So yeah, we're very very flexible. Um, say the only sort of times we struggle with at the minute is weekend work because it's um, we're quite busy here at weekends and trying to manage volunteers is, is a bit harder. But um, definitely Monday to Friday, we we can work around, work around. And it's the same with, with placements. Um, if your placement only requires you to do so many hours a week, you know, we, we'll set that up. We can accommodate that there. Um, it's just it's just whatever whatever people want to give, we'll, we'll work with them. Great. Um, and then David from the museums. Yeah, um, the whole point of remote volunteering is to make it accessible to more people. So yeah, we we have no uh, requirements for people to do the the work at any set time. It's you fit it into what suits you. You know, if if you want to commit two hours a week, that's we ask you to commit those two hours a week, and and that's it. You can put that time in however you like. So yep, yeah, incredibly flexible. Great. Well, thank you. That's well, we're getting short on time here. So that's all the questions we'll get to today. I think we got most of them. Um, and thank you so much to our panelists, Kim, Danielle, and David, for answering all of your great questions and sharing about your career pathways and your organizations. Um, so just to let everyone know that our career work experience and placement fair is this Wednesday, the 24th of February from 2 to 6 p.m. Um, so do log in. You can find more information through our social media platforms and on our website and meet with lots of organizations um, at the work experience and placement fair where you can get volunteer opportunities and placement opportunities that has been shared here can be really helpful for your career pathway. Um, there was a question about the recording or the panel session today being recorded. And yes, it is recorded. So you can come back and watch it um, if you missed anything throughout the session today. And then also to let everyone know, we have a couple more panels coming up this week. Tuesday, tomorrow from 1 to 2 is the public and not-for-profit panel. And then Wednesday from 2.30 to 3.30 is um, a creative arts panel. And that's it for us today. Thanks again, everyone, for joining. And thank you to all of our speakers for this really great and informative session.
You have been listening to Find Your Future, a podcast from careers, employability and skills at Queen's University Belfast. For more career helps and advice, visit go.qb.ac.uk slash careers.